two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome in to the Itching Taswell Podcast. Tom Hackett, generally Steve Bartle, but we've got, uh, we've got Mitch Harper today, uh, our beloved colleague here at KSL Sports. Mitchell, everybody needs to go follow you at Mitch underscore Harper. Well, I guess... I guess if you kind of are into the Cougars, go follow him. If you're a Utah fan, maybe don't. But but he'd appreciate the following nonetheless. He's a good guy. Mitch, how are you? Doing great, Tom. I I, I like to think that uh, I won't stir up the pot that much with uh, with Utah fans. That uh, I could be a reasonable follow. That uh, hey, like if you want some BYU insight, like this guy isn't meeting it, isn't creating BYU content with a with a huge slant. Because I get it. There's there's BYU media members out there that are like. They're laying it thick, man. They're, they're saying there's no talent gap. I get it. I understand there's a talent gap. I'll acknowledge the talent gap. But at the same time, I can have a little fun with you guys. So appreciate being on board. No, no, no. It's, it's, it's always a blast to, uh, to speak with you. We go back and forth all the time. I unintentionally kind of uh, got the pot stirring midweek, and that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. But before we get into that, uh, it's worth noting, outside of following Mitch on Twitter, you ought to – Check out his podcasts, uh, Cougar Sports Saturday and Cougar Tracks that drop frequently. Boy, Mitch, I did not realize how many episodes you drop a week. You are a hardworking man, my friend. So anyway, uh, professional podcasts found wherever you find your podcasts and uh, they are as highly recommended as I can as I can possibly give. So uh, big shout out too, to our sponsors, Mitch. We have this show sponsored. We're very fortunate for it. Anyway, Subaru 2107 South Main Street, Solid City, Utah. What's different about uh, Nate Wade Subaru, Mitch, in comparison to other car dealerships? Low pressure car buying experience. That's not a forget about the popcorn machine, the soda machine that they also have available at their dealership. But they have low pressure car buying experience, second to none. You won't find a better car buying experience in the market. So thank you to Nate Wade Subaru. Hey, Mitch. So let's get stuck into it. And uh, not waste any time. I was on KSL's Unrivaled. And I swear I did not think this was going to be that big of a deal. Because, <clears throat> anyway, um, I mentioned, we got into a conversation about the whole Scali situation. And, and Alex Curie asked me who I thought may get a look at defensive coordinator if Scali did not return to the Utah football program. I said three guys, but only one of them seemed to, seemed to make the social media waves. I said Sharif Shaw, Jay Hill. I also said Kalani Sataki. Now, I want, I, want, I want you to know, I didn't say once. I never said that Kalani would take the job. I just said he wanted to call. That's all I said. 
I said, I think they'll get, I think you'll get a phone call. And people, of course, kind of just like scrambled my words together and assumed I was saying Kalani's going to be the next DC at, at Utah. So where do we start? What do you make of it? Does he at least want to call? Yeah, I think that, you know, and Whittingham would definitely make that call. You know, I think Whittingham has shown in the past that uh, he would go to people that, that he trusts. I, I think sometimes, you know, a lot of people that follow Utah sports extensively, you and Steve Bartle, you guys know probably when a position goes is open on a staff, a lot of the people that probably would be linked to the job, they're probably going to be in, in Whittingham's thought process for a vacancy on his staff. So, yeah, I think Kalani would get a call. I think that, you know, Power 5 affiliation in college football is a big deal. You know, Power 5, uh, having that status is big. And I think Kalani, you know, understands the importance of being in a conference. And I think independence has been difficult for Kalani. And that's why you've seen BYU have the struggles that they have because I think Kalani thought when he took over at BYU, when he did and left Oregon State, he, under- he realized that it's not like the days of Lavelle Edwards anymore at BYU. It's a whole different ball game especially when you're trying to recruit against a team in the Pac-12 and now going up against weekend, you know, six or seven weeks out of the year against power five opposition as an independent where you don't have much to play for. So I think it'd be something that Kalani would entertain because I think he also loves Kyle Whittingham. I think that relationship is deep and it's a, it's a strong thing for Kalani, but at the end of the day though, being a head coach, there's only 130 FBS head coaches and there's only, you know, 60 or 70 that, feel like they got, you know, big fan bases with a lot of resources. And BYU, I think, falls under that. I mean, they got a national following. And, you know, BYU fans are as passionate as they come. And and that's his alma mater. And that place means a lot to Kalani. So it would be very hard for Kalani to ever leave BYU, especially if it's not a, another head coaching position. I get that. I get that. I just, I, I, like I said, you know, if I were here to defend myself, he just wants to call now. Uh, so I made those remarks on Wednesday, and I know yourself – uh, your good friend uh, and friend of, of KSL Sports, Matt Biamonte, um, filled in for Alex Curry and Scott Mitchell on KSL News Radio uh, Thursday evening. Um, and you kind of, you, you guys were going, you opened the show, if I'm not mistaken, kind of going back and forth. You know, it hit a nerve. It hit a nerve, and I get it. I apologize. Uh, one of the points you guys made was that, uh, and valid nonetheless, seen it on social media as well, is that Kalani left Utah. Uh, as the defensive coordinator to take another defensive coordinator at another program, that program being Oregon State. Um, I don't know if many people understand or realize why Kalani actually left in the first place. I'm not here to break any news. I'm not here to, to tell a story that's not mine to tell. But all I can say on that matter is the reason um, there's a, there was an individual involved as to why Kalani ended up making the move, and that individual is not working at Utah Athletics anymore. So that would essentially eliminate, you know, that that conversation, you know. Um, and that was at the time, too, when I, if I'm not mistaken, where Whittingham was upset about his staff not getting compensated fair enough, right? Yes. So the, the, the very few words I said on the matter, you've, uh, you've seemed to, to do a good job and uh, go straight to who you think may be Maybe. I, I don't know. I, it could be. I, I'm just coming into – it's a new world I'm in, right, in this podcast. It's, it's Utah's world, so I'm not I'm, – I'm assuming here. I, I'm the outsider looking in. No, 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 Mitch, you assume very well, and uh, it's slightly upsetting. Nonetheless, um, I do not think he would take the job, but I'm not 100% sure. 
So I don't know how happy Kalani is at BYU. Like, like seriously, let's break it down. How happy do you think Kalani is at BYU? It's a good question when you frame it that way. I, I mean, I think that I think he's happy in the terms of it's his alma mater one. I think he loves the recruiting, and I like I think he loves the the athletes that he gets to be. When I say that, guys that are all in on on kind of having this, you know, the the church element and bus plus football. I think he likes that. I think I think he he re- admires those 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 kids that are willing to do that and kind of as he puts it, be ballers on and off the field because that's what you got to be at BYU to navigate the challenges there. Uh, but I I think though conference affiliation, lack of conference affiliation, I think does bother Kalani. But I think he understands like no one's knocking on the door for BYU. Like the Pac-12 is never going to come calling for BYU one because there's now not just two but three universities in the Pac-12 who will never let BYU in, and that's Stanford, Cal, and now Utah. Like, Utah doesn't want BYU in the league, and the Big 12's never going to come calling. So, like, you don't want to go back to the Mountain West. So, I think Kalani understands that, like, a conference affiliation would do wonders for BYU in just terms of knowing who your opposition is. So, I think that gets frustrating. I think also how he envisions a football program should be what he saw at Utah in the growth of Utah football as a Pac-12 member he understood that a financial commitment's got to be there. And BYU is a little bit behind the curve in that regard, where they're still kind of, I think, a little bit archaic compared to college football programs that they're trying to compete against on their independent schedules. See, I, 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 why do you think Utah would not want BYU in the Pac-12? I would love to see them. I would love to see the Cougars in the Pac-12. I, see, I think for Utah, I mean, what would then be – the advantage over BYU in the state. I, I think that for Utah, as far as growing the fan base, because Utah's fan base is growing. Like you, you in Salt Lake County, like it's no question. Like the which fan base is is growing? It's Utah. Like there, not many young kids are growing up BYU fans anymore. Maybe down in Utah County, they're starting to get a little bit excited about the basketball program down there. But I mean, I see it. I, I, I people in this state, this area, it, they're growing up Utah fans. Whereas maybe twenty years ago. You know, it's like you're a BYU football fan. That's what a lot of people were out in these parts. And now you're, you don't see many people saying, I'm, I'm growing up being a BYU football fan. So I think if you want to continue that growth that's happening where you're getting like now generations and lifelong fans of Utah football, which was not seen before in the past for the mass population, uh, you want to keep that growth going. And why have BYU come in and maybe kind of make things a little bit tougher on the recruiting trail for in-state recruits? I know not having an honor code helps Utah, but... I think BYU would be a lot more competitive for LDS recruits in the state if they were in the Pac-12. Oh, no, you make a good point. I, and I can certainly understand why Utah wouldn't like that. But at the same time, you know, to, to talk about the health of football as a whole in the state of Utah, I mean, it would do wonders um, but for, for the state and for football yeah. fans and energy-wise. You know, I just think it would be terrific. So um, I, I think Kalani to go back to, to kind of the original conversation quickly, I, I think Kalani, and I don't want to speak um, out of tongue here because, you know, I'm just guessing, but I, I would have a feeling he gets quite irritated with the lack of resources available at BYU. And that would be maybe a reason why. You also have to think Coach Whittingham only has a couple years left. And if Kalani were to take, or whoever were to take, let's say Jay Hill came in and took, the defensive coordinator position. I think either of those two guys would be front runners to take over the position at Utah. Now, if yeah. 
Shaw took it over, I don't think he would be a front runner, but just because of lack of experience. Would you agree? Yeah, I think so. I think that, that that's that's the one element that I think does make it in, interesting. That if there was a a clause or something in writing that said, Kalani, you're head coach and waiting at Utah, and it's out there in the public, like then maybe people go, okay, that makes sense. But I think just simply going from being head coach to D.C., I just don't see that happening. But I also think, too, Dom, what's interesting about BYU is that despite some of the maybe limitations in resources, and I do think it's getting better, it's still nowhere near where it needs to be because I think you look at just the recruiting department, I can't speak for what Utah's got, but BYU only has like two dudes. That's it. And they got a bunch of unpaid interns that are college kids. Uh, mm-hmm. If you want to try and go get a top 50, top 40 recruiting class, I'm going to guess the top 40 recruiting departments, uh, they probably got a little bit more than two people. So that right there highlights some of the deficiencies that BYU has with resources. But at the same time, like BYU's history with both football and men's basketball, coaches just don't leave. Because I think when you get there, you have a little bit more job security than most places. Like Kalani's played coach basically sub-500 football against FBS teams. He got a four-year extension. Why is that? Because I think that, one, the administrators at BYU love him. And I think that they, they see that he is the perfect fit for BYU in terms of personality, in terms of doing things the right way. Like he's just what BYU needs and also can really inspire boosters to maybe still continue to donate money despite maybe a mediocre product on the field right now. Uh, but I think that, you know, he, he's someone that like coaches just don't leave BYU. Bronco Mendenhall was rare where he actually decided on his own cho- choosing to leave BYU. Other, anyone else, they either retire like Dave Rose, Lavelle Edwards, or they resign and they get forced out. But no one really leaves on their own at BYU. So I think just the track record alone of BYU's history with coaches, it's a place that has a kind of an emotional impact on people when they are there. Yeah, no, I, um, I, I sure hope it's getting better as well. So uh, basically to go full circle with this conversation, again, I want to reiterate, I do not know and I do not think that Kalani would go from a head coach to a defensive coordinator, but I do think he warrants a phone call just to gauge interest. No, if he's really unhappy at BYU, he may well just do it. And Utah, for that matter, would love that because he's a proven commodity uh, at the position. He's, uh, he's four and he's done it at a very high level. Um, and, and Scally took over a defense. And part of Scally's success was the defense that, that Kalani left him. You know, it was good. And it was during a time, I must admit, it was during a time at Utah where things weren't as easy as they once were. I was around for a large portion of it. We weren't getting the same recruits we are getting now. And, and so what Kalani had to deal with was, um, was far more challenging. So uh, I think he would, he would be welcomed back with open arms if, and that's a big if, I, I will admit, if he is willing to uh, potentially go down that road. But anyway, hey, it'd be rude of me to uh, have you on this podcast, Mitch, and not uh, quickly get into kind of what to expect from the Cougars this year. I guess we'll, you know, most of the conversation I imagine will be surrounded September 3rd up there at Rice Eccles Stadium, if in fact it does take place. But can we both agree that this is the best chance BYU's had at beating the Utes in, I'm going to say, a decade? Yeah, no, I, I, it's at least since at the earliest 2012, uh, when that game, when Utah, John Hayes, at quarterback, and they were just coming off a loss against Utah State. It's definitely the best chance since then. Uh, you know, was that B- the field goal game? 
Yes, that was the game where J.D. Falslev was on the field and the fans came in. And that was, was my very first college football game. Really? That was, huh? Yeah. And anyway, sorry, I don't want to intrude. No, no that's, if the memories are flooding in. I'm, I'm remembering that guy in the suspenders getting after Bronco, like verbally getting after him on the field after the game. Great moments. <laughs> it's, it's, it's what makes the rivalry great. Uh, you know, honestly, I, was, I picked up a college football preview magazine and I look at the, the list of the best rivalries in college football that you have to watch this year. One of the games that this magazine, Lindy's, writes is BYU and Utah. And, and you would think, well, Utah's won nine in a row. It's, is it even a rivalry anymore? And, and honestly, it's trending that way where they've just – Utah's had the dominance. There's no doubt about it. But BYU, I think this year, because of their experience, they, there's been a long investment by Kalani and the staff to play freshmen and sophomores. Well, now those freshmen and sophomores are now juniors and seniors. And if you're BYU, you expect that – you're going to get some big payoff with that commitment to the youth movement. And this seems like the year where you would think that they start to make progress as a program where they're moving from seven wins to maybe eight, nine wins. But the schedule is very difficult that it, it feels like it still might be a six and six football team. But with the Utah game, Utah's got so much youth. I think of like their defense, defensive personnel, their secondary, they got more talent than BYU. But I think just the inexperience factor that maybe gives BYU an opportunity. And I think also, too, Tom, that last year when there was conversations of, you know, we're head-to-head, who's got the edge at positions, you pretty much went through the entire roster and outside of tight end, BYU lost to Utah in the head-to-head, like especially last year. It, was, it wasn't even a debate. Whereas I think this year you look at it and go, quarterback, I think I can make a case for BYU. Uh, running back, it might be maybe BYU. I mean, with the Henry Cole, I think that's there can be conversations and debates to have, whereas the past few years it's been Utah, 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 every, decisive edge. We were this year because of BYU's experience, that might give them a competitive advantage in terms of maybe having an edge in some position battles this year. No, I, I like that because – I would give the edge to BYU. I, I, and Zach Wilson had an up and down year last year, but I'm assuming he's going to get the starting role in 2020. And uh, he showcased moments of, of brilliance. And if he can kind of put a few of those moments together, then he's a red-hot chance to do damage. Uh, I, I, I don't know if I'm going to give the edge to Devontae Henry Cole, because if he were to stay at Utah, he, he probably wouldn't have started. Uh, but he certainly would have been in the rotation. So I, I guess I'm going to give that a wash. But I'm going to give, Mitch, and maybe this is the most important, more so than the quarterback, I'm going to give the edge on offense to, to the offensive line of, of BYU. And I think that's where if BYU were going to win, and Utah fans are probably going to turn the podcast off around here because they don't want to hear me say this, but I think if BYU are, are actually going to win this football game or come really close to doing so, they're going to have to find a way to be dominant in the trenches. That offensive line is going to have to you know, create holes and gaps for, for DHC to run through. Because I, I just have a hard time seeing Zach Wilson throwing the ball efficiently. Because what Utah's done over the last two years, Mitch, and you know this, is they, they double-team they double team that tight end of yours, Bushman. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then, unfortunately, BYU doesn't possess the, the, the appropriate skill um, on the outside to, to beat the skill that Utah has at, at defensive back. So um, if Utah double teams Bushman, which I guarantee you they will, because they've done it the last two years, then Zach Wilson's going to have a really hard time finding open guys, which means DHC is going to be a ride upon. Now, now I will say DHC creates another threat 
out of the backfield as well because he can catch the football pretty well. Yeah. Uh, and so Utah's going to have to be dangerous. Do you like BYU's offensive line going into this game pretty much? I do like BYU's offensive line a lot, actually. And, and I'm really curious, Tom, to kind of get your insight on Utah's defensive line because I look at it and I see – Mufi Hill Hunt is a projected starter, and I'm, I'm kind of a little bit surprised. I mean, I remember he comes from Michigan State, original Taylorsville product. It was a heralded recruit. I mean, talent's there, but that seems like uh, – I feel like Van Fillinger steps in and is the defensive end, but maybe because of the pandemic, it's a little bit tougher for a freshman to come in. I, I, what I'm highlighting is just like the conversation can be had that maybe BYU's O-line could be better – in the Utah defensive line, maybe. Uh, Putu Town, I think, is going to be good in the interior. Uh, Mika Tafua is going to be an all-Pac-12 performer. But uh, outside of Mika Tafua, I have some questions, though, about the Utah defensive line and what to expect. Well, Max Tupai is also going to play a pretty That's big right. role. And so I think Max Tupai and Mika Tafua are going to be on both ends. They Last year, they were kind of behind one another, depending on the time of the year. And, and so I think their strength is going to be on the ends. Uh, Putu Town, you mentioned, is going to be kind of the anchor in the middle. He's an okay player, although he hasn't had much time to prove himself. So it's going to be interesting to see how he goes. But, but I'm with you. I think, I think BYU actually may have the advantage in the trenches, which again would probably be the first advantage in the trenches they've had in however many years, oh, yeah. like long, long time. 11 years at least. I mean, it's, it goes back to the Mount West days. Like, right. Since the Pac-12 independence era of this rivalry, BYU has not had the edge in the trenches. I remember talking with uh, Kelly Papinga, former BYU assistant coach, who's now at Virginia, and he's like, yeah, BYU, they, we lost those games, we being BYU when he's saying that. Um, they lost those games because of the trenches, point blank. They, just, they did not have the, the talent to compete with Utah in the trenches. And I think Kalani won being at BYU back in the day with Lavelle and seeing how BYU used to have 300-pound linemen and seeing what Utah was building and the Pac-12 when he was a defensive coordinator in the trenches. And he gets BYU and he's going, why do we have 275-pound linemen and we only got six of these guys and none of them are over 300 now? They're all at least 300 and all, most of them are about 6'4". So vi- vis- visually, they look the part. Uh, now it's a matter of actually delivering and performing at a high level because in this game, like BYU, the hurdle they have too is that, okay, drop any sort of blueprint for success for BYU to win. Well, they've probably done that in the last nine or ten years, but yet they've still lost. Oh, win the turnover margin. Well, Utah coughed up the ball six times and Utah won 2019. Uh, get a quick lead. You got a 20-0 to lead in 2018 and, and lost to Jason Shelley. Uh, and also, like, have the edge at quarterback. Utah, BYU had the edge in quarterback maybe in 2012. John Hayes was the quarterback and BYU still lost. I, like, there's all – every script known to man to win a game, BYU's probably had it. And they've, they've lost it. One, because Utah's outplayed them. And last year wasn't even a debate. Like, that was a game where Utah just kind of vanilla play calling and just lined it up and said, you're not going to stop Zach Moss. And Zach Moss was coming off uh, having his cast removed, for goodness sake, and he still just annihilated BYU up front. So BYU has got a, that hurdle, and they just got to kind of let – they're not going to – I don't think we're going to see them say much in media days this year. You're not going to see that. I think they're just going to kind of take this, like, we're going to work behind the scenes approach, and they have to because – when you've lost nine in a row, you have nothing to say at this point. Correct. I mean, it's crazy how college football works, though, isn't it? You think, you think a year ago, nearly, um, there was a rain delay, a weather delay, down there at, in Provo, LaBelle Edwards Stadium, and, and Utah was up at the time, come out, they go on a nine-minute drive and end up punching the ball in. Did they, wait, did they punch the ball in or did they take a knee? I can't remember. Either way. It was, Whittingham, it was right there, I think, at the one or two-yard line, and 
easily could have been 37 to 12. And I think any other coach not named Kalani, Whittingham's punching that in. Uh, but I think that's dude, right. That was a, like a tip of the cap to like the respect that Witt has for Kalani. And he's just like, you know, and again, like that was a game too, where it's like, we counted down all these days and this is the outcome. Like this is so anticlimactic because I think BYU thought, okay, like even though Utah's preseason top 25, this might be a year where they hang around and they got a shot because they were up 20 to zero against Utah in 2018. Not the case. So anything that you assume from last year or anything like it, it, it's cliche, but it can be thrown out. But I think that one thing is for sure though, that we do know is that Utah will have better athletes. We know that Utah, even with Clark Phillips, Clark Phillips, better athlete than anything BYU's got in the secondary. Uh, but BYU, with their experience and just the knowledge and bringing back all the coordinators, which might be a positive thing now for BYU because of the pandemic. So everyone knows what they need to do. And I think that just the knowledge of knowing, the kind of comfort level of knowing what they have to do, what their 111th is, that is what BYU is going to try and hope and pray that they can maybe deliver a rivalry win. Because if they can't do it now, you're not going to see it happen between the time when Utah eventually plays Florida and there's a gap in the rivalry because then we're talking, what, 15, 16 years between the last time BYU won a rivalry game. So it's a very important for BYU to find a way to deliver a win because if they can't, we might not be seeing one for, for BYU for about 15, 16 years. I, uh, I remember speaking to our colleague and, and of course, good friend Scott Mitchell uh, last year. Um, and he was telling me kind of, you know, what he'd learned in the NFL and, and how he best win games and, and one of his former coaches, I wish I could remember who, um, told him, and he still uses the phrase to this day, he says, the team that can tackle the, the better and the team that can win on the line of scrimmage generally gives themselves the best chance to win. And, and so that's kind of why this conversation that we've had is relevant uh, when it comes to the outcome of, of Utah and, and BYU, assuming it played on September 3rd as, uh, as it is currently scheduled so uh I, I, you know i'm fascinated and and i know you are as well I, I love the game i love what it stands for i love how for four hours the entire state essentially is brought together now uh the second that four hours concludes uh the state then then becomes as divisive as it ever has been for about 24 hours uh, and then hopefully people can move on from their lives but not everybody can which is unfortunate but uh, <laughs> i think uh, is though I will say social media, the last like pandemic social media, I'll take rivalry pandemic Twitter or a rivalry Twitter over pandemic Twitter any day of the week. Like I'm give, with you. Give me, give me mighty Alaskan Ute slamming down my mentions all day, every day before I get coronavirus Twitter. Like give me Ute Bonutu, give me light up the U, give me that all day, every day before I get pandemic Twitter. Like, that's what I want. Like, I want rivalry Twitter more than ever before. <laughs> we, uh, we're, we're not far from that, Mitch. And, hey, Utah fans, if you're listening and you don't think Mr. Mitch Harper's paying attention, then you <laughs> do yourself a favor and go follow him. paying attention. Do yourself a favor and go follow him at Mitch underscore Harper. And, again, two podcasts, I'm telling you, worth following because no better BYU insight leading up to the Utah BYU game than what Mitch uh, provides and of course your good friend Matt Biamonte. We can't leave him out. That's Cougar Sports Saturday uh, on KSL News Radio, and then of course Cougar Tracks throughout the week. Mitch, it's been a blast, my friend. I appreciate you doing this on on short notice. It is a Friday, so if you listen to this and it is Friday, we hope you enjoy your weekend. If it's the weekend, then be well. Don't do anything we wouldn't do. Mitch, it's been real, man. Hey, thanks as always, Tom. 